2: pitch hey everybody JJ Cooper Matt Eddie here another baseball America podcast We are talking about our new organization talent rankings. If you haven't checked them out yet go to baseballamerica.com We have it's been a very 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 busy couple of months but we have that the org talent rankings kind of finalizes the last piece of of all of our mid-season prospect updates we've put up uh rankings of top 30 prospect rankings for all 30 organizations we've updated the top 100 we did a ranking of all 55 56 something like that prospects who were traded at the deadline all those things but we still had one last piece to do which is we wanted to say, okay, now that we have all that information, how do the form farm systems line up? As we always say with this, it's a snapshot in time. If we had done this ranking two weeks before, the Rays would have ranked higher. Why? Because two weeks before this, Wander Franco had not graduated. When you have the number one prospect in baseball and he hasn't graduated, that makes a difference. When he does graduate, you take a hit. Same thing, they also had Luis, Luis Graduate. There are guys who always are great, you know, constantly graduating during the season. This is a snapshot in time. That said, it's a useful snapshot. And Matt, as you look at this, I'm going to tee you up on the fact that I think probably the first headline of this is we have a new number one. And who and why?
3: (laughs) Well, hey, JJ. First of all, it's good to podcast with you. We we talk a lot, but don't podcast frequently together. (laughs) <laughs> the new number one is our uh, preseason number two, the Seattle Mariners. Um, first time in BA history that they rank at the top of these talent rankings, which surprised me given that they've had two of the top number one overall draft picks in history, Ken Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez. Um, do you want to go into more detail about what puts the Mariners over the top?
2: Okay, I will note, like, the rankings that, you go back to the 80s, the rankings on this were done a little differently. King Griffey Jr., that's before we did the top 100, but King Griffey Jr. was an uber prospect. At the same time, I I think that at the time, the rankings were based more on depth than star power. And I say that because when Griffey was in the system, they ranked 12th out of the 26 teams that were in uh major league baseball at the time so wow (laughs) Wow. um in hindsight again this is a uh, we're going to get into process and we'll get into how we do this but i will start with this this is a core principle of mine if you have a king griffey jr if you have a prospect who you think is going to be a hall of famer and griffey was in the range of like This is as good a prospect as you're going to see. A-Rod, the same way. You go a few years later, A-Rod, they they ranked fifth when A-Rod was coming up. I always use this example, but the Cardinals, if you look back at our first prospect handbook, the 2001 prospect handbook, the Cardinals had Albert Pujols, Bud Smith, and nothing else. I mean, when I say nothing else, there were like two other guys who had any kind of MLB career. That said, having Albert Pujols makes you a top five system. Why? Because it is harder. The value you get from an Albert Pujols is way more important than having five guys who are useful big leaguers. You can find useful big leaguers. It's really hard to go out there and go, hey, we need to acquire someone who's going to be the best player in baseball over the next five years. That's really hard to do. If you have a Griffey, if you have an A-Rod, and we're going to talk about with this system, you know, with these systems, if you have those kind of perennial all-stars year after year, those are the guys who are rankings, I would say, and again, I'll throw it to you, to my philosophy and prospect valuation study after prospect valuation study have seemed to confirm this, you know, my, what, kind of what kind of a core thought of mine. I do look at it as that's what's going to put you at the top. You are not going to be, I don't care how good your depth of potential big leaguers are. You're going to rank behind teams who we see as having the best prospects in baseball, especially if those prospects are viewed as like not always number one, but there's not a good number one this year. When you have the Acunas, when you have the Vlad juniors, when you have the Shoei Otanis, those are the guys we're talking about.
3: Yeah. I think um, what's notable about this group of Mariners prospects to me is number one, Jared Kellenick is not included because he has graduated from prospect status. So, what we're looking at here is the future of the Mariners organization is a double A Arkansas right now. This group mm-hmm. includes Julio Rodriguez, who is our number two overall prospect behind Hadley Richmond. You know, he's a potential. 70 overall player if you really like them i don't think that's too rich for some scouts um in addition to rodriguez you have george kirby emerson hancock brandon williamson zach deloach matt brash and levi stout i mean that's a lot of these guys are going to be on the next mariners playoff team and they're all a double a right now
2: that's a big prediction you just made there matt the next mariners playoff team that's a I mean, we've already made news on this already because uh, <laughs> the down. last Mariners playoff team <laughs> included uh, some of those players, you know, that we were uh, talking about.
3: <laughs>
2: uh, so you think, yeah. Okay. But yeah. But the point being is, and then you have also, you throw in like a Noelve Marte. Mm-hmm. This is a, the, the Mariners currently in our mid-season update have three of our top 11 prospects. It's hard not to rank really high with how we do these rankings if you have three of our top 11 prospects. But the other thing I would notice, by the way, I said this on our tweet, like when we talk about the Mariners, this is their first time on number one. The Orioles had never been number two. If you mm-hmm. want to officially do that, you're gonna to have to hold on to it because we don't count these midseason rankings. As the snapshots go, this snapshot is has a larger error bar than it does when we've just finished doing the prospect handbook. And we are sitting there in the off season where we can pause and look at the totality of all 30 systems that, you know does that make sense to you too? Oh yeah, hundred percent.
3: Like there's one other theme I think I mentioned internally, like this group of organizations, I guess what I'm really going getting at with this is the Dodgers are not in the top 10 <laughs> for the first time in what feels like a long time. I'm sure mm-hmm. you have the numbers in front of you. And that to me gives this more of a mid to low revenue kind of feel like there could be a number of these organizations on the rise. You know, we talk about the Mariners and the Orioles and some of the others we'll talk about here in the top 10, like this could be the dawning of a a new age for some of these clubs.
2: It is the Dodgers are not. And again, if this is sustained... Into the offseason, you would have to go back to the, going into the 2014 season was the last time that the Dodgers haven't had a top-10 system. Now, the interesting thing with that is, is, and again, do understand as much as we love prospects, I think trading prospects for stars is a great way to use prospects. Trading yeah. Haybert Ruiz and Josiah Gray to add Max Scherzer and Trey Turner is an excellent use of prospect back. But that said, if they hadn't done that, the Dodgers probably would currently be a top 10 organization. It was the trade deadline that took away two top 100, not even just top 100, but two top 50 prospects from their organization. That's what knocked them out of the top 10. But you're right. Instead, what we have is kind of the, the top of this list is a, a tribute to the Wobegon in uh, in the major. You know, if, if you looked at, the systems, and you said, okay, so we got the Mariners one, the Orioles two, the Royals three, the Pirates four. There's not a lot of major league wins uh, right now <laughs> among that group. But well, that Mariners also do. is so got, the Mariners
3: are playing well now. I mean, but yes, I get you. I mean
2: they're the they're the best of those major league teams right now. The thing about all of these is though, is that part of this is the way the system is created right now the way that you can't circumvent. They have put straight jackets on amateur spending in a way that was never true until really the last five, six years. The way it is structured right now, being awful should get you near the top of org talent rankings after a few years because if you're picking one, two, three, four, five in the draft, you're gonna have a financial advantage whether you use it the way that many, the pirates are, you know, did, or not not even pirates, pirates and the Orioles both did the, we'll spread it around uh, approach. And and I would say that when the Royals took Bobby Witt Jr., they took the, let's get the the stud, you know, at the top of the draft approach. But Orioles did that with Hadley Rushman. When you have those at the top, picking at the top like that is what leads you to a farm system that looks like this a few years later, I, I guess would be the way to put it. 100%.
3: One hundred percent. I think that's one hundred percent by design too, with the changes to the draft that you outlined. The bonus pools coming into effect in in um, twenty twelve,
2: and then the amateur, the international amateur spending being restricted. Uh, you know, uh, a CBA later. Uh, you know, you had they basically first clamped down on draft spending, but we did see the Padres and a few other teams still go out. And well, not a lot of teams were going out and saying we'll blow through our international spending limit, and we'll pay the penalty on the road, but we'll spend way more internationally. So what did they do? MLB clamped down that where you can't do that either now. The the basically the Padres in one year on the international market spent more than like ten teams, twelve teams could spend on the international market last year uh, with this system. So they're they've closed all those avenues off the thing that when you look at the top of this list the mariners are one as you noted julio rodriguez is our number two prospect the orioles who okay the mariners should have been number one in hindsight if we go back on it i would say that the Arod team or the uh farm system or the Ken griffey junior farm system very well could have been our number one farm system at the time if we were had perfect hindsight The Orioles are number two. And to say if they hold on to this, this will set a record for them. Well, they already set a record last year when they ranked seventh. Coming into the year, the Orioles were seventh. And that is the best that the Orioles farm system has ever ranked. And we've been doing this since 1984. So (laughs) if the Orioles can be two in the offseason, that would absolutely positively be a high watermark of Orioles farm systems of all time. And with that one, it starts with Adley Rushman, number one prospect. But again, they also have two, (laughs) the Mariners and the Orioles between them have five of our top of of our top 11 prospects in the game, because in the Orioles case, they have Grayson Rodriguez number nine on this list, but it's not just that, that puts, if it was just that they'd rank high, because again, Adley Rushman is I, you would rather you would trade a bushel of depth for an Adley Rushman. If you said, yeah. I okay, take your depth and will we'll, we'll you give me Adley Rushman for these 12, 15 guys who have a shot to be big leaguers, you would say no. But it's not just having Adley Rushman, Grayson Rodriguez that puts the Orioles at number two, Matt, right?
3: Yeah, and I, I think what the Orioles have done well in recent drafts under you know the Mike Elias regime is they've gotten a lot of value with their second and third picks in each draft. You kind of see it with the, how they allocate money that is a, a point of emphasis for them, You're kind of spreading the risk around. You know, you, you've got your Connor Norby and Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg are all um, you know, top 10 caliber guys who they got beyond their first pick. You know, granted, they do pick very high in, in subsequent rounds based <laughs> on their draft position. <laughs> so uh, you kind of would fall into that naturally, I think but I I do commend them (laughs) for that approach, you know, and uh, there's not as much upper level talent here as you might want to see at number two. So the ranking does surprise me a bit. Like were you at all surprised to see Baltimore at number two?
2: Again, I, it fits my philosophy, which is I'd rather have Adley Rushman than if you said, can I have Adley Rushman? Or you said, no, i have four guys in the 50 to 100 on this top 100 no give me adley rushman it top in talent if adley rushman is what we think adley rushman is going to be then he carries a, a lot a lot of weight if you look at how we to, to kind of dive a little bit deeper into our process we both use valuations um as kind of a starting point and then we tweak based off of where we think that that you know sometimes goes right or wrong and Adley Rushman by himself the valuation system I think if you said compare Adley Rushman to the White Sox top 30 you'd rather have Adley Rushman which mm-hmm. seems crazy but I don't think it actually is because again you. it is not nearly as valuable to have big leaguers as it is to have impact big leaguers because big leaguers Again, you want them. That's what you're trying to develop, but you can find guys to be the 15th through 25th guy on your roster, your MLB roster. That's not very expensive. That's, you, you, there's a certain amount when it comes to relievers, I feel like there's a certain amount of the, the, uh, the, the error margin, the margin error, error bars that you could talk about kind of you could do it right or you could do it wrong. And I don't even know if if teams actually know how they did it right and why they did it right this year and wrong this year or whatever. But again, when you have, when you look at right now, again, not that having Shohei Otani is having as good a season as anyone could have, I I feel like, and that's not going to put them in the playoffs. That said, having guys like that is the part that you can't, Go out and say hey we've got an extra four million to spin let's go find that that's to me so i'm not surprised that they're this high that said it kind of leading into number three here do you feel like if you said which farm system farm system not major league team but farm system has had kind of the best year say the Rays or the Yankees because they're winning a lot of games at pretty much every level of the minors. And I think that both of those teams are good teams to point to too. But considering where we left off in 2019, I feel like that the Royals who are a number three organization are one that's probably had the, the best season from the standpoint of they had all these hitters who, with the exception of Bobby Witt Jr., their top hitting prospects, all, well, no, I shouldn't say all but A lot of them were truly horrendous at High A Wilmington. And I mean, turn away, do not look at these numbers. They will cause you pain bad. And that, and you've seen this year, the Nick Prados, the MJ is they've had a number of guys who had, have transformed, really their approaches, their swings have improved, but they've done so and they have had monster years this year after being uh, again you look at mj melendez's numbers in 2019 he had one of the worst years that you know statistically that you could have and here he is here he may win the home run crown in, in 2021 that's a system that is much it had depth of guys who you hoped would see turn into something but they i feel like they were the team that's had more guys kind of take a step forward in 2021. Is that a fair assessment?
3: Yeah, I think the two things stand out to me with the Royals. I guess three things. Bobby Witt is awesome. That'd be number one. Yes. Uh number two, that they had one of the largest move upward movements of any team from the preseason standing. They're up 10 spots from the preseason. So, you know, to underline what you're saying, it's a gigantic jump forward for the organization. Um, and the third is You know, the the volatility is kind of inherent with this ranking because it is so reliant on pitchers and a catcher, MJ Melendez, a young catcher. You know, some of the pitchers who are responsible for this ranking are Daniel Lynch and Asa Lacy, you know. So a lot rides on their continued success and Jackson Kowar, you know, on those guys converting their ability into major league value. So I guess those, those are the three things I would say about the Royals.
2: At, we're going to dive into number four before we kind of move into further assistance I do think that the, the number four system here is maybe the deepest or it's if not the deepest it's right there but before we do that we are going to stop for a quick message and we're back so we kind of hinted at it going into the break but the Pittsburgh Pirates who ranked fourth this is again You see, they've come to this naturally, which is if you're really bad, you pick at the top. They had the number one pick. They took Henry Davis and they also had four guys they took who got million dollar bonuses in this draft. They've drafted high in recent years, but on top of that, they've also sold off at the big league level and they've brought in talent from those, you know, from that way as well. But Matt, what stands out to me for everything I just said about that top end talent is important. The, the Pirates don't have a top 10 prospect. They don't have a top 25 prospect in our current rankings, but they rank fourth because not only do they have five top 100 prospects led by a new cruise but beyond that, they have a lot of prospects. When we were doing our mid-season top 30, they kept making trades and we're saying, okay, so who drops off the list now? Who drops off the list now? And we were really got to a point where like, God, don't, want to take this guy off the top 30, because the depth of this system, when you compare it, especially to the teams at the back of this list, it's really impressive to me. What what stands out to you about the pirate system?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. You look at some of these guys in the 21 to 30, and you're thinking, oh man, I'd I'd love to have these guys for my top 10, the organizations I'm covering. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like you, you hit it right on the head that this is a system that lacks an elite number one you know, I think we all like O'Neill Cruz and like Henry Davis, but not ready to go all the way and say impact major leaguer, no question. You know, at least I'm not ready for that. Um, and, you know, this is a, a system that kind of added around the margins of the trade deadline. Uh, when they traded Adam Frazier to the Padres, they got Tucapita, Marcano, and Jack Sawinski, who are nice, a nice step prospects for them. But I think one of the better stories. For the Pirates is probably the emergence of, of Matt Fraser, who broke out at Greensboro and continues hitting a double A Altoona. Like again, he's just another one of these guys I would highlight. Is I would love to have him for top ten consideration for uh, my organizations.
2: Again, you look at the back of their twenties. You know, Matt Fraser, Brennan Malone, Can Smith, Mason Martin's not on their thirty anymore. We had him in there. If you're doing the Nationals list, you'd kill to have a Mason Martin to put on that list. Mason Martin has produced more than guys who are in the top 10. Now, again, he's a power hitting, he's a slugger, and that's really where his value derives. So it's a hard, It's a difficult profile to, to make it. But you look at the 11 through 20 uh, on this Pirates list. Get <laughs> Jared Jones and Bubba Chandler, Tanaj Thomas, Jared Jones, Bubba Chandler. I don't think all three of those guys are going to hit. they are young pitchers. That's always a, uh, a risky demographic. That said, I also feel pretty good that one of those guys is really going to hit. And all of those guys have stuff. I mean, all of those guys have stuff. All of those guys have athleticism. Jared Jones and Bubba Chandler, both of them are absolutely legit two-way guys who could have been position players if they wanted to. They're, they're elite athletes and they also... Again, they have stuff already. I just think of this system as team depth, which they still, now they're going to pick again. This is a system that also should continue to go up. Why? They're still terrible at the big league level. And with them being terrible at the big league level, with the system that we currently are constructed in, where it is, if you pick in the top five, you have a giant financial advantage in the draft. Now, and I say, why do I keep talking about the financial advantage? They didn't take. If you look at how the draft worked out this year, them taking Henry Davis at number one, they said, and we'll take about their word. They said, "Hey, Henry Davis was number one on our board, and maybe he was." But that said, Henry Davis signed for 1.4 million less than the number two pick, Jack Leiter. He signed for 400k less than the number three pick, Jackson Job. He signed for 150K less, 160k less than Marcelo Meyer. He signed for less than Jordan Lawler. So what they did is they used that financial advantage to then go out and say, we're gonna add the Baba Chandlers and we're gonna add the uh, Solomit. They they added multiple guys who they spread their money around. That's another thing you can do. That's the thing that the Orioles consistently do. You know, we, we're talking about the Orioles. The Orioles, we have them that high. And Heston Kierstad basically has not played uh, effectively, unfortunately, because of myocarditis since he had was taken number two overall last year. And they're still, again, you, they spread their money around those. So that's something that if they do again next year, they're going to be picking high again. And so that kind of gets you to kind of where they are right now, which is, is well, where are they? They're, they're really, really deep. I do want to hit on number five before we kind of jump in because I do think it's also very noteworthy. As you said, the top four teams here are all teams who at the major league level, you could say are bottom feeders. And again, in the Orioles case have been a bottom feeder, have been a disaster of a major league team for a number of years now. And again, I don't think that's, that's not going overboard when you say, I mean, this is the team that has been utterly non-competitive for a number of years and really has not tried to be competitive. That's not, not a one-year rebuild. We're talking year year after year in the very tough division, but year after year, they've, they're not even going out there and signing Mm -hmm. a couple of free agents to, to basically just make them a little bit more respectable. That's not
3: the the approach. I'd I'd say the only thing they dominate
2: in the major leagues is the waiver wire. They, they will sort through everyone. They they will take and the funny thing is, the even with that is, is they haven't really hit on you. You you follow the waiver wire better than I do, but I don't really come up with a whole lot of guys where they've hit on someone really big on the waiver wire. Oh, who do they get?
3: There's somebody. Uh, they've gotten Jorge Mateo and uh, Ramon Urias this year. I think those are good free pickups. They might not be waiver wire strictly. I can't recall, but you get the
2: point. <laughs> yeah, I get the point, but. So the the thing that I want to note, though, is is our number five team right now is the San Francisco Giants. And that's really notable because credit, and I mean massive credit to, to the entire front office there, to the entire coaching staff, scouting every aspect. Because this is a team that is winning the most competitive division in baseball. Against two teams that everyone kind of came into the season saying, well, it should be the Dodgers or the Padres coming out of the National League. And here are the Giants who are doing it again. And not only are they doing it again, but they also have their, their number five farm system on our farm system rankings. And that's led by, I would say that one of the things that's notable about them is, is what, how well they have done on the international market. Signing a Marco Luciano, signing a Luis Matos two of their five top hundred prospects. Luciano is number six on our list. You also have Joey Barr, Elliot Ramos, Kyle Harrison. But, and again, it does not end there. There are other good development stories for them, scouting stories for them. But, but I, I do look at them and say <laughs> massive credit because they are ranking where they rank and they haven't been picking at the top of the draft each and every year for the last five years. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they picked 14 this year, uh, just to kind of give you an idea. And Joy Bart, they did pick number two that year, but that is the only time that the Giants have had a top 10 pick since 2009, 2008, 2009, Buster Posey, Zach Wheeler. That was the Buster, they had the three in a year, three years in a row where they went Bumgarner, Posey, Wheeler, which, by the way, if you're going to have top 10 picks, hit on them like that. Do that. that's
3: a... <laughs> I think. Well done. That's a that's a good point, and that's that should frighten the Dodgers and Padres even more than they probably already are. Um, you know, Luciano is probably equivalent to a number one overall pick because he was our top uh, international amateur that year. Big bonus. Um, but yeah, that, this low A San Jose team to open the year was just incredible. You had, you had Marciano, or Luciano, sorry, uh, and uh, Luis Matos and Kyle Harrison, Jairo Pomares. And, you know, now they might have Will Bednar in the, low, in the lower levels pretty soon. It's mm-hmm. very, very impressive what they've done. One of, uh, they're up nine spots from the preseason ranking. So nothing but good things to say about the Giants' future.
2: I just quickly mention like, the Rays were our number one. They've fallen to seven. Again, this is the way to fall to seven. Graduate Wander Franco. Just keep graduating guys who are top 100 prospects. That's Okay, we tip our cap. I mean, that's that's the depth in the system is still really good. The Reds have moved up a good bit, and I think that it's notable why they have moved up. It's another system that's had a really good year. Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, Jose Barrero are all guys who were prominent prospects, but who've had really good years. You throw in like breakouts like Ellie de la Cruz, like uh, uh Ashcraft, you you have You have guys who are kind of further off their radar or lower down on their list who've really emerged as well. That's a nice kind of rounding out way uh, to do it. The Rangers move up to 11. Part of that is by trades, but also I think the key thing for the Rangers is not that they haven't had any injuries, but the Rangers finally have had a year where not everyone has gotten hurt. And that's been a big problem for the Rangers. So they move up. But I did want to touch on, I, I did want to kind of, go back and forth on we got a lot of feedback from people Marlins fans who for one they're a little unhappy about how we worded it we tweaked it like that look Max Meyer's had a great year statistically we were trying to and we didn't artfully worded as artfully, as artfully as we should have initially but Max Meyer has not blown scouts away as much as his numbers may indicate this year not that that doesn't mean he's 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 a uh, a top uh you know he's a top He's number thirty-five on our top hundred. It's not like he's not a very good prospect, but if you saw the numbers he had coming out of where he was drafted, you would be thinking that we would be hearing him as maybe he's the best pitching prospect in the minors. We're not hearing that, but I do think overall this is the the Marlins system is a solid system. I, I think it's worth noting here. They're tiers, you know. Again, we rank them one through thirty, and I prefer that we do this to that one-year in the late 80s, which still frustrates me, where we just did grades. And so we had to extrapolate who was number one, who was number, you know, because we did, we really only did tiers that year. There were, you know, you had A's, you had B's, you had C's, you had D's. We do one through 30, but Matt, the thing that stands out to me is is that if you wanna argue everyone always thinks that they're they're the team that they're fans of, unless they really hate their farm system is better because you have more awareness of that. We're trying to look at the totality of all 30, but at the same time, if you're a Marlins fan and you say, you know, I think that we may rank eighth or ninth on this list instead of 12th. I'm not going to argue that you're, you know, out of your mind, you know, that that's an absurd idea because the gradations here Especially mid-season, aren't precise enough for me to say with utter conviction. No, you are twelfth. You're not eleventh. You're not thirteenth. You're twelfth. H- how do you kind of see it?
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think where we had them uh, around ten is accurate. It's it's a good system with a lot of upside potential. You know, it's it's what they lack is a is a clearly defined high end hitting prospect. I mean, their top is the concern? Jesus Sanchez is, is their top guy, but he's like a week away from exhausting his prospect eligibility now that he's off the IL. Uh, then you have Khalil Watson, who could be a star, could be a major star. He's sixth. Then you have J.J. Boudet at 10th. And, you know, the, the trend on him is not looking good. good. You know, he could rebound, but, and that's, that's the issue for me. There's not a clearly defined
2: offensive upside in the farm system. Not only that, we generally, what you said about the royal system, if we have one system that's really deep in position player prospects, top prospects, and another that's really deep in pitching prospects, we're gonna line up with the position player prospect group generally ahead because there's less volatility to that. I mean, we have seen that it doesn't mean that there's not pitching prospects, and there are not it doesn't mean that there aren't pitching prospects who end up turning out to be stars. But that said, there is more volatility to it, and this is a Sixto Sanchez is their number one prospect. This is a perfect example of it. A healthy Sixto Sanchez is was really good last year, and was very key to them making the playoffs. But that said, I don't know, and no one knows exactly. No one has the ability to say, here's where Sixto Sanchez is going to be over the next 10 years. Why? Because he's had a, a running string of injury issues that have sidelined him like it has this year. And this is a very pitching heavy top of the uh, organization. Uh, again, we're and, we're both Peyton Burdick fans. There are some would, hitting prospects here. Um, and I would say, we, we both... the re- I'm sorry, the, the, the reason why the hitting foundation
3: is so important is because you can look at some some precedent, like the 2015 Cubs and 2015 Astros. This year's Blue Jays. That's that's why it's important to have these elite hitting prospects.
2: Because when you have them, again, that's not that there's never bust and never guys who fail, but it felt really good about that Cubs team that when you watch the Baez's and Bryant's and some of them were traded away. Jorge Horace, Soler Horace, was part of that group, and you know, but we looked at that group. You felt really good, Schwarber, Albert Almora. They were going to Addison come together Russell. and be good,
3: huh? <laughs> Addison Russell,
2: <laughs> Addison Russell, who you know, but
3: and Anthony Rizzo was a young big leader at the time. Yeah, yeah.
2: Again, like you look at this Blue Jays group. Okay, the Blue Jays probably are gonna. You know, right now it looks like they're not going to be able to hang on. Again, there's no harm, there's no shame in being outgunned by the Yankees and Red Sox who, you know, again, have have more resources. But I don't think this is the end of the Blue Jays if they don't make it this year, but you look at the Vlad you, you look at that young lineup. and again, the key thing with all of this is, is it's not just that Vlad Jr. turns into a star which he has. It's that Teoscar Hernandez who was, uh a very excellent acquisition of them ends up being a really good player and he's been a really good player you know i I say that partly Mm -hmm. because i've always been a teoscar hernandez but (laughs) tooled up and it's about having bo Bichette, and it's having it that's where you do look at it and you say okay yeah having those kind of that's where we do think that it's going to be hard at some point for the aerials not to be somewhat better why because the adley rushman's of the world make you better uh, if you have again doesn't mean he's going to be buster posey but if he can have a buster posey like career when you say why are the giants so good this year one of the key answers to that is buster posey a healthy buster posey is a difference maker and he's been that way for much of the past what now 15 years almost 10 you know 10 years 12, I guess. Yeah. yeah yeah 10 to 12 you know but um So that's the system, again, if you said that I would, I think I said it on Twitter, if you want to argue that there's seven, I'd say no, I'll take that raise system compared to the Marlins system, no chance I would rather have the Marlins system than the raise system right now. And the flip side of it is, though, is is they're 12. If you want to compare them to the Dodgers or Braves at 14-15, I also don't think that they're in a different area code than those teams. So that's, again, a useful way of kind of putting this. I think it also, when you say that, like I, I think it's notable here, the Padres are 17. That's a, a pretty strong fall from a team that was, I'm calling it up here, but was six coming into the year, second the year before that, first and third going back to 2018. So basically, a system that has been one of the best farm systems in baseball for a number of years now but this is the way that this is the way that we tip your cap at teams who fall in the in the org, in the board talent rankings we don't see it really as an indictment in any way they're trying to win and they keep they've traded away a top 30 full of prospects but they've managed to also in doing so hold on to their absolute premium prospects they just don't have nearly the depth they used to is, is the way I see them. What about you?
3: Yeah, I agree. We had that fun graphic in the preseason or after last season where it detailed the Padres had traded away an entire lineup and rotation and bullpen of talent. So what, what you're saying is, yeah, I mean, there's a legitimate 40 man roster that they traded and you know, they're slipping in the um, draft position because the major league team is winning. So they're not accessing CJ Abrams and, you know at the top of drafts anymore um you know a lot of this is also you know Mackenzie gore we're still at the same level he was in 2019 and considered one of the top pitching prospects in baseball then the padres would be probably top 10 system don't you think
2: yeah but I, again he, he's a tricky one his ranking right now he is still in our top 100 at the midseason and the best explanation for that is, is that you don't do this based purely on what you see in one year. Like we have him still in the hundred because there have been, I can think of examples of highly regarded pitching prospects who have fallen apart and then put it back together. Uh, you know, if you want to go way back, Roy Halliday is a perfect yep. example Although his falling apart happened. I think after he reached the majors, Um, Lucas Giolito. Lucas Giolito, go back and again, Charlotte's a terrible place to pitch, but go back and look at Lucas Giolito and what he did in double-A, triple-A at a stretch where he, again, he had to essentially rebuild himself. Mackenzie Gore is going to have to rebuild himself. It is not something where he was this close to being the Mackenzie Gore we saw before. This is a player who he's, currently not pitching anywhere in games that count because they're trying to rebuild him in some ways. But the Mackenzie Gore, we saw, I think we've said it in the, if you just based it off of the Mackenzie Gore we have seen in regular season games in 2021, he was better in spring training, but that guy, that guy's not a top 10 prospect in this organization. And it's a thin organization. We are counting on the, that there is a chance that he's going to put it all back together. But that said, this is now an organization. Remember when we we're talking about those pirates and we're saying, oh, you know, the Mason Martins of the world and, and, uh, you know, the guys at the back of that 20 that you would quite happily put higher up in other organizations. Padres system, I heard from a number of Padres fans are like, oh, no, no, it's still deep. No, no. It's, it's understandable. It's not a, it's not a slam for this system to not be nearly as deep as it was. It's okay. Like it makes sense, but it's not. There was a time where the guy who was the 45th best prospect in the Padres system was a really good prospect. That's not the case now. And that's okay. They've traded away, not just premium guys, but guys like Mason Thompson and guys who you're like, ah, I kind of like that guy. Well, Reggie P- Preciado, I, who's now one of the better prospects in the Cubs. They, they've they traded away a lot of guys, and this is what happens. And again, that's okay. Um, but again, they also fit in this tier. We have Cleveland 18, and I think, again, we talk about tiers. They don't, Cleveland does not have a lot of, t- they don't have a top 40 prospect. Tyler Friedman, who's Herp in it, done for the end of the year is their number is our number 40 prospect that's their top prospect. that said if you wanted to argue that that Cleveland is 14, 13, 14, 15 on this list, the depth of their system's really good. we keep hearing that the depth's really good. you go down to Milwaukee I don't think Milwaukee has a lot of top end guys right now but that said they have some depth I mean again that's not a horrible system. The tricky one is we get to 23, 24 on this list. Talk about depth versus star power. I don't know a a starker example of it. We have the Nationals 23rd and we have the Cubs 24th. And I feel confident in saying, if you gave me the fifth through 30th prospects in both these organizations, the cubs are dramatically better it's not close would you that is that an assessment you would agree with
3: oh yeah especially after the trade deadline where they cashed out the you know the stalwarts like chris bryant and javier Baez and anthony rizzo
2: but that said we have the nationals ahead of them and when you ask why it is because the cubs have two top hundred prospects Brennan Davis who we really like Brayla Marquez, who has not pitched this year. Who's at the very back of the hundred. And then you mm-hmm. go beyond that. Miguel Maya, who's been again, one of the Cubs best prospects has barely played this year. They graduated, you know, out, Adelbert, uh, as a light, they, the nationals basically have a very top heavy system. When you say, why well, is it top heavy? Well, they have Cabert Ruiz and Josiah gray who they just acquired in the trade with the Dodgers that sent Scherzer and, uh, and Trey Turner to, to L.A. And then they have Cade Cavalli, who's one of the better pitching prospects in the game right now. And they have Brady House, who they just acquired, who was a, one of the top players in this draft class. After that, those guys, and then imagine that you're standing in the Grand Canyon, now jump off of it, and then that's the cliff that you are talking about between that and the rest of the system. You get to 15 to 30 in this national system, and It compares poorly with the White Sox, who are our number 30 organization. But, again, having a Cabert Ruiz, having a Cade Cavalli, having a Josiah Gray, there's a lot of value to that. Again, if you think that the Cubs should be 21, they're deeper than the Mets. The Mets are, I think, a little top, a little better, you know, again, are better at the top. They're deeper. But especially low-level depth is – it's like you've planted a crop, but you don't know exactly what the weather's going to be like down the road if you're a farmer. Is that a terrible analogy, Matt? (laughs) No,
3: I I think it's spot on. I think – I agree. And I I like what the Cubs were able to do because they kind of diversified to – they got Nick Madrigal for the major league team, all the way down to Pete Grohl-Armstrong who uh, played a week in low A, but was a top draft guy from 2020. I think that's a good way to kind of add layers to your farm system.
2: The thing with the the Mets that does really stand out is, um, and is notable is this is a system, when you talk about their lack of depth, just a story. if you check over at baseballamerican.com, I wrote something up earlier this week, and it's really kind of focused on the Astros. And how the, the draft penalties that the Astros have had have really hurt them. But what is notable about it is is so the Astros have the Astros have no top thirty player taken in the top thirty overall in any draft from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one active in their organization because of trades. They traded away Bukoski's. They trade you know they they traded away they, they trade away Bukoski's. They trade away Bier, They trade away Cordova Martin. But also on top of that, they haven't had a first round pick or a second round pick either the last two drafts. So they're the ones who have the fewest top 30 picks, top 50 picks. But if you go to top 100 picks, <laughs> now all of a sudden, that's where the Mets come in. The Mets only have five players taking the top 100 picks of the 2017 to 2021 drafts. And you say, well, why is that? And the answer is because of what you just talked about, the trades you talk about. They've traded away Pete Crow Armstrong. They've traded away Josh Wolf, Isaiah Green, Simeon Woods, Richardson,
3: Jared actually
2: Jared Kellenick, a biggie, but that's where they've thinned out their system is it, it? it's kind of, you know, it's a little subtle, but it doesn't mean that they haven't picked well. It means that they've used that and, and trade a lot of those guys away while they're still very young in their, uh, in their development. And so that has thinned out the system, which kind of it, that, that's kind of the, the bad news. The good news that kind of is why they're 21 even is they've also had great years. Francisco Alvarez has had a, a breakout year as a prospect. Is now one of the best young catching prospects in the game. As you know, catchers, volatile, but one of the best prospects in mm-hmm. the game. Brett Beatty's had a great year. Mark Vientos has had a great year. Ronnie Mauricio, they, they have had guys take steps forward, which they really needed because they've also thinned their system out Pete Crow Armstrong's been hurt, but they also, again, like I said, they've already traded him away.
3: Yeah. And of course the, they didn't bring in any top 10 caliber guys in the 2021 draft either after the Kumar rocker, um, failing to sign him. So yeah, it's, it's a very, very top heavy system with depth that compares, um, like I would say unfavorably <laughs> with good systems.
2: Now, we get to the very bottom. I just touched on the Astros. The Astros are our 29th system. And again, they, I think that the draft penalties are a big part of that, um, but also they've had trades. They've, they've had graduations. Luis Garcia graduating this year. Our number 30 though, Matt, Chicago White Sox. Only system that doesn't have a top 100 prospect right now. Um, and that's not the only reason they're 30, but at the same time, as we kind of said in our write-up, This is where, if you're going to be 30, this is why you should be 30, right? This is not a, if we were talking about the Orioles or the Pirates or these teams that have been terrible and they were 30, we'd be utterly slamming them for how did they get in this point? The way the White Sox have done it, okay, we understand. Is that a fair assessment?
3: Oh yeah. And, and we see Luis, Luis Robert and uh, Eloy Jimenez in the major leagues, <laughs> former top number, number one prospects for this organization. And even just this year. Juan they've graduated, yeah. And, yeah. And even just this year, they've graduated Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, Nick Madrigal, Garrett Crochet, and, and also uh, reliever Cody Heuer and uh, catcher Zach Collins. So the and, and they've is already far- used
2: Madrigal and Heuer to bring in Craig Kimbrell, who, by the way, could play a large role in them maybe winning a world series this year.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, they're down 10 from preseason. So they weren't super high to begin with, but that's, that's the number one reason why they're number 30 right now is the graduation of all these impact major league players.
2: And it's not just, I think also one of the things that's really worthwhile of, of kind of noting there is again, all of these are snapshots. All of these are ways that we're trying to, kind of explain where they are right now, but it does hurt them as far as the rankings go that Garrett Crochet, there are not many 2020 first round picks who are no longer count for organization talent rankings. He does for a good reason. There are not many 2019 picks who do not count for these farm system rankings, but Andrew Vaughn doesn't anymore. Uh, you know, <laughs> they, they haven't really, if you look at it, it is notable. Let's just run through the, the White Sox first round picks of the last Colson Montgomery this year. But Garrett Crochet is helping their big league club. Andrew Vaughn is helping their big league club. Nick Madrigal helped their big league club and then they used him to get Fred Kimbrell. Jake Berger, okay, he's had a lot of injuries, but he had made it to the majors this year. So he's not a complete washout either. Zach Collins has, you know, again, playing on their big league club. Zach Birdie. Okay. Injuries did kind of have largely derailed his career. Although I I do believe you can add another major leaguer to that category, but Carson Fulmer, that was, that was one that they, they missed on again. When you consider that he went eighth overall, but Carlos Rodon who has been up and down, but this year has been a giant up. That's a guy who's really helped him. And then Tim Anderson in 2013, who's been one of the key reasons that they are where they are. That's Mm -hmm. a, That's a draft record right there that it's pretty hard to top in, in recent years and, and credit to them for that.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And, um, they've, they've picked up some value in subsequent rounds too, but the, and the first round record is probably as strong as any organization that I can think of offhand.
2: That's again, when you talk about something like that, well, you know, you talk about, I really, again, that's a fun study for us to do at some point, but it's, it's hard to hit more on those guys than they did there. And especially what's also notable about that is this isn't a case where you look at it and say, Oh, but they were always drafting top five. No, that's not what we're talking about here. They had some, some high picks in there, but it wasn't something where every one of them was, uh, you know, Tim Anderson was 17. That's probably the best of all those guys. And that was the 17th pick in his draft.
3: Yeah. I think what's also notable too, is, is they stepped out a little bit. And these guys were, were considered top draft prospects, but you know, Nick Madrigal is five foot eight. They took him fourth overall. You know, Andrew Vaughn is a a sub six foot or right at six feet. First baseman who they took third overall. I mean, you know, they they stepped out a little bit and just went with the talent and were rewarded.
2: so, that gets us through all 30. Well, again, I know we didn't touch on every team in the 30. Sorry, it's a, we're trying to keep this to an hour long podcast, but we hope you did enjoy that. We do thank you for joining us as always. And as always, thank you, Baseball America subscriber. We thank you if you subscribe to the podcast, but we especially thank you if you subscribe to, at BaseballAmerica.com. You are the ones who allow us to do what we do. If you aren't a subscriber yet, I would encourage you go over to BaseballAmerica.com, go to BaseballAmerica.com slash store, and you can join the, 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 those of you, the many of you who already are supporting what we do. And again, if you do, we can keep you busy for a while because if you go to baseballamerica.com right now, you have updated organization top 30s for all 30 organizations. And with that, we kind of touched on rising prospects, falling prospects, who graduated from the preseason, who's been hurt. So we did a lot. It's not just the rankings, it's also... Kind of telling you kind of the state of the system and kind of how you got here if you're wondering why that second round process, second round pick from last year hasn't played for your team check out the injured section on that because we've you know we, we've tried to highlight those kind of things so check that all out we also have draft rankings we also have uh we have we're recruiting rankings coming up a lot of stuff over at baseballamerica.com format i'm jj so long everybody